0: contents insurance, motor vehicle insurance at least compulsory third party if not comprehensive, health insurance, uh, business insurance, work cover, pet insurance, travel insurance. There are all these different ways that we try to balance out the risk in every and any situation so that at the end of the day, should the worst things happen, we're going to be looked after. We'll have a shirt on our back, we're not going to starve, everything is going to be okay, because we're covered. For those of you too young to have to worry about any of those insurances, lucky you, but my guess is that you actually do have an insurance policy, don't you? It's called mum and dad. If anything goes wrong... You expect that they'll bail you out, and as a measure of building this sort of security for yourself and for your family in, in some way, shape or form, especially in our kind of world where really there's a lot of unpredictable and uncontrollable things that happen despite our best efforts. I don't worry, I'm not trying to sell you anything, I don't get a commission. I'm just making the observation that there's a lot in our world that's outside of our control. We can predict some things, uh, like about the weather, or like about the trends we observe in all manner of fields, whether it be in social sciences or in economics. And some of those predictions might actually be accurate from time to time, which is nice. But we're a long way away from actually being in control. We are the creature, not the creator. And that's okay. But it does mean we live with a measure of risk. We don't know everything. And yet, you still have to make decisions, don't you? About your everyday, what you're gonna do, what you're not gonna do. And it can make us feel a whole lot better about making those decisions if you know that you're covered. That whatever happens, you've built some security for yourself, just in case. And the form of that security is pretty much money in our day and age, isn't it? That's what the paperwork we fill in is all about. How much, in what circumstances should something happen, how much can we claim? And so I wonder, how secure are you feeling this morning? And even as I ask that, I know there's all manner of different dimensions that begin to pop up for you. Uh, Beyond financial security, how about emotionally or physically secure? How emotionally or physically secure are you feeling here this morning? Maybe there are things impacting those things uh, for you this morning. There's research that suggests that it takes uh, a lot of different things to live a very long time in our world. Uh, They got together a bunch of people who'd lived past 100 and uh, tried to see if there's some common factors involved and apparently only 25% of that might be genetics and 75% of it is lifestyle. And the biggest contributing factor in your lifestyle that keeps you alive might not even be eating right and drinking right and getting exercise and not smoking as good as those things are. The biggest factor influencing how long you might actually live could be actually how socially integrated you are how many people you're in the regular habit of interacting with and how many close relationships that you have. And I mention that only to make the point that those of you who define how secure you are, mostly in terms of relational security, you might be onto something. Security is not just financial, it's relational. In the story that Jesus tells us that was read out for us by Prisca, you'd remember there's only one main character there, isn't there? Luke chapter 12, if you have it there, Jesus tells a story about a rich man in a farming society, and this rich man's land had done particularly well that year. I'll start reading it for us uh, from verse 16. Jesus told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance uh, of grain, an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he has a good problem, doesn't he? It's a great problem to have. It's like saying, oh, I've got too much money in my bank account. What am I going to do with it all? I've got too many good things. But for him, it was a more practical problem because unlike money in the bank, uh, his assets are physical. They take physical space to store. And he was out of space. And so he does what you would do. He says he's going to make more space and then he plans to take it easy and rest secure in his wealth. Verse 18. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This guy is set. He doesn't have to worry about working anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, at least not for the foreseeable future. In terms of financial security, he's in a good place. And yet God's verdict about this man is that he is a fool, which sounds a bit harsh because uh, this is a short story and we're not told very much about this man. It doesn't seem like he's done anything wrong until you read the reason why God says what he does in verse 20. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be for everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. The wealth and security that really seems to matter is apparently relational relational security, particularly having a rich sort of relationship with God, as what Jesus says counts. And so, this man's focus on his material wealth was misplaced, because if I'm reading it right, this hypothetical man dies that very night and he gets to take none of it with him. All his hopes and dreams and his uh, feeling of comfort of all that is achieved and what is going to you know, go ahead of him, gets to take none of it with him. And it sounds like however well planned and how savvy he was in other parts of his life, he's very unprepared to meet God. Now, why does Jesus tell this story? Uh, He does it in response to a man who comes up to him and tries to get Jesus to settle a dispute that he's having with his brother. And there's money involved. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Uh, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" And Jesus doesn't want to be his, what do you call it, like a a will dispute lawyer. It's a messy job anyway. Jesus says, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you?' Then he said, "'Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions.'" That's why he tells the story. Life isn't about having lots of things. What's your greed? Because the greed in us will want to be fed and it will tell us that it's all about having lots of things. But your focus shouldn't be on that, says Jesus. Don't waste your life being preoccupied with getting more and more things. What you want to spend energy on is being rich, towards God, which is why I think he tells that story that we've just looked at. And straight away, uh, following the story, he continues to teach the disciples along a similar track, if you keep reading, down in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food, and your body is more than clothes. Uh, He's just said, life does not consist in an abundance of things, so, and he continues, don't worry about things like your food and the clothes. There's so much more to life than material security. And that's a challenge for us, especially those of us who've come from fairly conservative cultures for whom the whole game seems to be about financial and material security. The more of it, the better, actually. Because our world's answer to surviving risk and uncertainty is money, more money, which seems to do the job, until it doesn't. But the challenge to the person of faith, the challenge to those of us who are aware of a Creator God, and aware that He's sustaining and superintending the whole world, the challenge is to be thinking much of Him, and so be re- being reliant on Him, in all the insecurities and uncertainties and risks that come with life under the sun. Jesus asks us to consider the birds and the grass, verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, And your Father knows that you need them. Beseech His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Did you hear that? God, who cares for all the animals and plants in our world, and who keeps the ecosystem going, He values you so much more than those things. And we're told He knows exactly what we need. So instead of worrying about those things, instead of chasing those things, Would you instead trust that He is in control? I think that could be why Christians for centuries were encouraged to be in the habit of saying grace before their meal times. Just a simple way of acknowledging and remembering that every bite of every meal comes from the hand of the Lord, giving thanks to Him for those things and for for providing not just food, but the means to get it and for sustaining us every day. And so, if you're freed from running after the securing of material things, which could otherwise be a lifelong obsession, you know that. But if you're freed from that, because you trust that God's in control, that He's going to look after you, then you might just be freed up to start chasing some new things. God's kingdom, and the things that really matter to Him. And start investing in being rich in your relationship with God. I, for one, am really glad that there are a bunch of people in our church who are right now working on helping us revamp our church finances and how we think about budgeting and spending as a a group of us, and hopefully making all our accounts and our financial goals a lot more transparent so that we might all be encouraged to be a lot more generous, it will be easier to be generous in giving to projects that we believe would grow God's kingdom, whether it be locally or across our world. And that, I think, is the direct consequence of being less worried about securing material things in our world. Instead, you give. Look at verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, when no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For for where your treasure is... there your heart will be also. If you seek God's kingdom, being generous and investing in having the reign of God be a real thing in your life and so that it can be a real thing in other people's lives, if that's what you're seeking, God will do much more than just look after you. It says here that you get a great treasure, one that the man in the story we read was told he was a fool to miss out on. That rich man had no idea there's more to life than building bigger and bigger barns. But you and I get to invest in the kingdom of God. And it's not about money. God is not primarily after your money. He wants you. When this world's all done and all of us are dust in the ground, what good will the things that we've eaten? All the clothes that we've worn or the houses we've lived in what good are those things going to be for us? Everything goes. Eventually, everything goes. Rather, will you and I invest in something that's going to last and be a real security for us? Treasure that will long outlast whatever you know, financial security you might put up for yourself. Treasure that will never perish, spoil or fade. It's not a dumb thing to be financially secure, just don't also be spiritually poor and have no plan for that, especially when it's your spiritual life and your relationship with God that's going to stretch into eternity, long after whatever insurance policy you have expires. And if it's a smart thing to invest in having your finances sorted, how much more your spiritual life? Now, Julian and Joe and Beth and and Judith, if your friends are theirs here today, I don't know what you thought about what you saw them doing this morning. I don't think they're fools for getting soaked in public this morning. They're saying loud and clear that they're investing themselves in Jesus to follow Him for the rest of their lives. And from what they've shared in their testimonies and in their baptisms, they're pretty well thought out about that. This isn't some impulsive whim that they're following. This isn't just a little bit of foolishness. There's a lot of wisdom, I think, in their decision to seek God's desires for them and being on this road of being rich towards God. If you're still not so sure, watch this space. See these four and keep looking at them as they go on in their lives from this point on. Look to see down the track. If you can't see the difference and the impact, the fruit that's born out of their choices to walk with Jesus... How secure are you this morning, spiritually? Amen.